I went to the library yesterday. Ooh, the local in Ridgewood or the, the main big one, one in the, New York City? Oh, between the Lions, New York Public Library. Humble brag, I, I went to the library to just like work and write. And I got in there and I was, as I was going in there, uh, there's a bag check because it's a fancy, you know, historical building. And I had oh, my sure. backpack, so I opened it up. And as I opened up my backpack, I realized I had misplaced a wig that I wore for a wig party on New Year's. <laughs> okay. And I found it as the security guard was ruffling through my bag. The, like You just oh, open this gosh. backpack and there's uh, a pill bottle. It was just like nausea medication, but like this big mass of black human looking hair oh my gosh and like a tuna fish sandwich from 2016 oh we both kind of like looked out at the bag and then looked up at each other and she was like you're good to go i guess like smuggling my cat in the in the library because i I suppose it's not it's not a threat like it's not a weapon but it does feel like a pink panther-esque like I'm going to go into the bathroom of the library and come out with this black wig so no one can chase me. Yeah. No, for sure. Change of outfits. Change. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The man of a thousand faces. There's a museum or a library security outfit in the bag. And she's like, mm, I don't know about that one. Yeah. It was it was very embarrassing, but not embarrassing enough that I forgot that I had it in the bag. And then on the way out of the library there's another bag check because they want to make sure you didn't steal any rare books like that one family friend of ours and i like had to face another security guard of just like and i didn't bother to explain it because i just hoped it would blend in with the bottom of the bag but another person kind of looked in and went oh i've been told about you yeah oh you're that guy (laughs) you're the hair smuggler right Oh, that was my moment of embarrassment. Great. Like that one cat who bought a guy who bought a barbecue. And oh, a, yes. What was it? An arm or a uh, foot? It was, it was a foot. foot. It was a, yeah. Finders Keepers. It's a documentary. I think it's still on Amazon Prime, but it was, yeah. you're right. This guy in North Carolina who bought a storage unit. Yeah, of course. Like kind of storage war style. And then inside the grill, there was a mummified leg and he started charging admission to it because he's an entrepreneur and charging tickets. And then this one guy was like a heard of somebody charging admission for a mummified leg. And he's like, there's no way he got it from my storage locker that got foreclosed on. Right. And then it turns out it was his leg. Oh, we prove it. Uh, it's the documentary is the court battle over uh, who actually owns the leg. Is it the guy whose leg it is or is it finders <laughs> keepers? Oh, my gosh. Well, this is not a part smuggling podcast. That doesn't sound right. Well, uh, you don't know my you don't know my topic yet. That's very true. We're about to find out. This is Fascinators. Welcome to Fascinators. It's a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to the weird and wonderful people, concepts, and stories that send us down the rabbit hole. Each week, myself, Evan Atkinson, and my dad, Ken Atkinson, tell one another about something that is currently 
fascinating us. I think. Well, I'm excited because I think you get to go first. I want to know what's going on in that large brain of yours. Oh, what fascinates you? Apparently, not remembering that I had a wig in my backpack. But no, I you you wanted to be caught subconsciously. Oh yeah, it's kind of my it's kind of my nasty thing. <laughs> I'm like, I just want somebody to make a big deal about it. No, so this this past weekend, Claire and I went to we went to the spa, which is kind of our Ooh, wonderful our thing. One of our favorites is this spot called Bathhouse, which is in Williamsburg, and. We were having a little a little spa day there, and before we went, I decided to check the FAQ page on the website because I was looking at something about our tickets and trying to see about, you know, if we get a massage or something. But I was looking through the FAQ page, and there's different, like, they bucket the questions into sections, like amenities, treatments, gift cards, and there's, oh, like, sure. six of these things. And one of those is Bitcoin mining. And I went, what's that about? Um, and I don't. Remember if I've talked about this on the podcast or to you before, but bathhouse, the pools are heated by the heat from Bitcoin mining. Oh my gosh. No, I don't remember that. It's like, it, at first I'm like, this is the most annoying, like late stage capitalist thing. I'm so <laughs> anti-cryptocurrency, but it's kind of, it kind of makes sense or it's, it's interesting at least because they're an energy neutral operation in that all the money they would have spent on the electricity for pool heaters, they just spend on these Bitcoin miners, which are normally terrible for the environment because they put off so much heat because these computers are like processing so much complex information. But in in their setup, they just put them in like these liquid cooling tanks and the Bitcoin miners heat up this like dielectric gel and then they pump that gel into their plumbing system for the pools and it heats the water. So instead of having to pay for heaters and it's just wasted energy, they're paying for these Bitcoin miners, which make them a certain amount of money and as a byproduct, do all the heating for their pools. Oh my gosh, that's next level. So it's kind of, I mean, it's it seems like a brilliant system of like they're making money while doing the thing they already needed to do. But I'm I'm I wonder what came first if it was the if it was like this guy was like oh I need to cover up my Bitcoin mining operation oh and like <laughs> left a left a glass of water out next to one he was like oh this is hot wait a minute yeah or if it was I have a spa I, I don't know it's the the classic spa or Bitcoin thought problem it's um, the modern day chicken rig yeah. Which, by the way, uh, shout out, or I guess not shout out to that section of the Time Magazine, did you know, section that I was looking through for Fascinators Topics. They ask which yeah. one was first, chicken or the egg, and the answer is there's no answer. It's at, trash. No, I don't. That's not true. I or the, disagree. The, the answer is the it was the egg. Yes. Yeah. Because through evolution at one point, some creature that was pretty dang close to a chicken laid an egg, and then a chicken came out. And it mutated into a chicken egg. Yeah. Right. But it was, I mean, that's, I got that done in one sentence and this is like a 10 page article. I got, I got beef with Time Magazine. I, I digress. But the, so Bathhouse, this really cool thing, this is a very futuristic and very capitalist application of a tradition that has been around for thousands of years. It's the only Finnish word in the English language, the sauna. Oh. 
So I'm going to talk about saunas and sauna culture. Oh, in for it. Which is, as you know, I studied abroad in college in Finland, in Tampere. And it was a wonderful experience. It was my first introduction to like, there was always like somebody's weird stepdad had like a sauna when I was growing up. Like <laughs> there was always some odd people. And there were just these like wooden closets basically that were probably infrared or it was like, felt like the people oh, right. who bought juicers bought these like closet saunas. And so that's, that was my only idea of yeah. what a, a sauna is. But in Finland, it's, I mean, it's, as you'll see, an all-encompassing lifestyle. So there's some theories on the history of the sauna that they found these ancient stone structures in the Orkney Islands in Scotland, and they had baths and different things in big stone piles around like 4000 BC. They also found archaeological sites in Greenland and Newfoundland, and they're like, these might be examples of steam bathing, but it's kind of very loose loose idea of like, yeah, we know that this bowl held water and there's some burned stones nearby, so maybe, but you know, there's nothing to prove it. What we do know for sure is that saunas popped up in Korea for the first time in the 15th century. They're referred to as, oh geez, Hanjongmak, and they're these okay. like dome-shaped structures made of stone. Kind of looks like a, like a beehive almost. Okay. Uh, which, I was thinking like a stone ink igloo. Yes, exactly. Which if you've ever been to a Korean spa, which I have now been to several, that's <laughs> like, that's their whole thing. You'll basically like most of these Korean spas have like, they're, they're set up like a shopping mall almost like size wise. And there's pools and then you go into like a big, large room and there's a bunch of these little like kilns, these hongjongmaks like dotted around the room that you can go into. We know that saunas popped up in Korea in the 15th century. Tracking the history of saunas in Finland is a little bit trickier because there's not really much known about Finnish culture prior to the Middle Ages. So I did a lot of research on this, and I've seen 7,000 BC, 2,000 BC, and 1,100 AD all quoted as like the first Finnish sauna. So okay. there's no there's no good like consensus, but most most scholars theorize that at least the idea of like sweat bathing originated with the Finns while they're primarily nomadic in the BC era. And then once they settled down into what is now Finland, they started constructing these actual like physical structures. Okay. So there's, there's a, like steam bathing pops up in a lot of other cultures. Native Americans have, you've heard of like the sweat lodge maybe. Right. Um, theories that that started with the Finns and they taught it to Native Americans before they crossed the Bering Strait land bridge into oh North my America. Gosh. So yeah. whatever whatever the truth is, it's old. Yeah, but there's, there's yeah. not enough like solid evidence about you know where it was because the Finns were so nomadic and they were around a lot of other cultures that dominated the narrative: Russia, Sweden, Denmark, all the all the kingdoms that were just kind of like who are these weird sweaty gross people that keep walking around <laughs> these poor fins but the sauna is central to finnish life uh it's a place to live in to eat to cook to gather to clean uh to deliver babies it was usually because the heat that you reach in the sauna it's usually the most like sanitary place that you could access so they would there would be a lot of baby deliveries there 
there's always a lot of like signs on saunas in America of like, if you're pregnant, don't go in here. Or if you're like, uh, you have to be above like 12 or whatever to use a sauna. Not so in Finland, pregnant people, <laughs> babies, once they're four months old, can start to sauna. Oh my gosh. Which is nuts. Well, they must be doing something right. Cause I, everything I read, like the Finnish people like live the longest or the happiest. Yeah. The happiness thing is interesting. So while I was living in <laughs> Finland, you know, it's, it's always quoted like Finland is the happiest country. The UN takes that data based on quality of life metrics. So it is like, are they living long? Do they have access to universal health care? Is that Finland has a universal basic income? So pretty much the whole country is middle class. Like it's okay. really hard to be exceptionally poor or exceptionally rich, which I approve of, but it's so dark there that Finland actually has like one of the world's highest rates of suicide and alcoholism. Uh, yeah. It is. Like up in Lapland. Yeah. And also Finnish people culturally are very austere and very like socially anxious. It's bizarre. It's a very strange place. One of the places they're not socially anxious though is the sauna. Like it's truly, it's like pretty bleak until you get into a sauna and then Okay. Everybody is talking and laughing and like drinking beer and hanging out. It's there's like a, a meme that went around for a while of like a, a line for a Finnish bus stop. Have you ever seen this? No. It's they were they were doing social distancing before COVID. Like it's a bus stop and everyone's like six feet away from each other, regardless of okay. whether they're like, I just don't want to be near another person. Oh, I see. Yeah, right. Uh, except for in the sauna. In 2020, Finnish sauna culture was inscribed on the representative list of intangible cultural heritage of humanity by UNESCO. So Very nice. You might have heard of UNESCO does like the historic buildings and stuff. Now they're since, two, I think they've been doing a list of like cultural practices that are like as as important as a castle or old building. Sure, or yeah. Uh, right. And, and, what the USB like solo cups? <laughs> yeah, beer pong, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, Nathan's hot dog eating competition, the military right. industrial complex. In Finland, there's the population is 5.5 million people. Can you guess how many saunas there are? Oh, 5.5. <laughs> Honestly, kind of close. It's 3.3. So there's more than one sauna for every two people. Oh my gosh. Well, that's okay. Yeah, that's funny. Because I read like a stat a while ago that if... They wanted to, every single citizen could go into a sauna oh, at the same 100%. time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because um, some of those saunas are, you know, you could fit numerous people. Yeah. And these saunas oh my gosh. pop up everywhere. Most residential buildings have one. Um, corporate offices will have saunas. The Parliament House has a special sauna in it. Uh, there's one in the Helsinki Central Library. There's one uh, 4,600 feet underground in the Pusalami Mine. Um the Finnish church in London has one. The Helsinki Hockey Stadium has a box seat that is a sauna. Oh, my gosh. Um, you can rent it for $3,000 a night, and it's for 20 people. So it's like 150 a person to have a little sauna box seat. Doesn't sound... It sounds fun. I would do it. I would do it. No. For oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's There's cool. a sauna in a gondola that goes over a two-kilometer ski lift. This is the gr grossest one. There's a sauna in a Burger King in Helsinki, oh. which is 
God, you get your food and then you eat it in the sauna, which has to be so smelly. I don't care for that one. Like Burger King always makes me pretty immediately ill when I eat it. And the last <laughs> place I want to be is mostly naked in a sweaty room full of other people. Um, oh, there's a, a sauna inside of a bus that picks you up from the airport that has a karaoke machine in it. There's a boat in Helsinki that's shaped like a giant duck that has a sauna in it. And there's a one of them in one of the cabs of a Ferris wheel. In, oh, yeah. I think it's Helsinki. Oh, my gosh. They're a- anywhere you can put a sauna. They have done it, which is the gondola ones, the Ferris wheel and the ski lift kind of scare me because there's no way out. Like if you're getting too hot, you right. gotta wait for that thing to come back around or to finish the ski lift. Yeah. Because they can get hot to a traditional sauna. The temperature is usually between 176 and 230 degrees Fahrenheit, which straddles. That's more than 212 degrees where water boils. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty dangerous. It actually, it doesn't hurt you because they keep the dew point relatively low. So like, like a Turkish, Turkish sauna or hammams are like much steamier and so yeah you get something that hot you'll burn your skin because the water and the steam will be scalding you keep it pretty dry in a finished sauna and then you throw some water on it but the okay yeah percentage of moisture never gets too high okay Um, most people in finland sauna at least once a week typically on saturdays that seems to be the day that everybody does it also, when Finns are abroad, they'll sauna. There's a UN peacekeeping mission to Eritrea, and the Finnish army built a sauna immediately. It was the first thing they built once they arrived. <laughs> step one. Um, yeah, step two, Step two, a latrine, but we need to get that sauna going first. There's military manual for the Finnish military in World War II that states that a break of eight hours is all that's required for a battalion to build saunas, warm them, and bathe in them. Incredible. It's just, it's the whole thing. There's most saunas in Finland are nude due to health concerns over swimsuits, which if you've been in like a public pool and it's soaked in chlorine, if you're getting the fabric of the swimsuit that hot, it'll make chlorine gas, which is lethal. Oh no. Um, Yeah. So you try to avoid that. I've been in some public saunas in Finland where you still keep your shorts on, but there you have to like shower first. You have to try to shower your, all the chlorine off if possible. Oh, sure. Um, Now, are you, are you allowed to wear a wig? into these saunas that's curious i think because mine was six dollars on amazon i think it would melt to my head if i tried to wear it in any kind of heat yeah Uh, it is not legit some of the health benefits kind of related to happiness i guess but sauna bathing leads to mild heat stress which activates heat shock proteins that are responsible for repairing misfolded proteins it promotes longevity as well as protection against muscle atrophy chronic illness Evidence suggests that saunas help with cardiac health. They lower blood pressure, lead to healthy weight loss. Uh, And if you sauna, I think it's like five times a week, it can lead to improved neurological health, which is really interesting. I definitely felt pretty good when I was saunaing all the time. Yeah. It was, I was, this is the, I I lost like 40 pounds when I was in Finland. I was was at the lowest weight I've ever been. But gosh. I also was only eating spaghetti because that's all I could afford <laughs> because Finland is so expensive. So I oh, think that's it was, true. I think it's because I ate nothing but a little bit of spaghetti every day and walked everywhere more than it was the sauna. Yeah. 
Well, and there's only so much herring you can have. Yeah. There's, there's not a huge variety of food for the Scandinavian countries. It is true. Uh, yeah. Boiled berries and bread and butter <laughs> and end of list. NASA went to Finland in the 50s to test um, the effects of reentry heat on the human body, and they used saunas uh, oh. before they launched human manned space missions, which is kind of crazy. The last piece of sauna culture is is its impact in like myth and mythology. There's this Ooh. Finnish epic called the Kalevala, which is kind of like Epic of Gilgamesh or, you know, one of those, but it's more modern because Finland's history is really modern, but there's a whole section of it that mentions how the hero is just really into taking saunas. Like it stopped the adventure <laughs> and he's like, hold on, hold on just a sec. I need to sweat right. it out for a minute with my boys. There's a, a classic old Finnish folk tale about a farmer who saunaed really frequently and he kept cranking up the heat and he was like, that's not hot enough. I need more. I need more. Eventually, the devil hears about this guy who can withstand any heat and is like, I can't be having that. So he brings him to hell and starts ordering all of the demons to like throw more wood on the fire in hell and raising the temperature more and more. Volcanoes start to go off all across the world. The farmer's like, this is fine for me. I love it. Make it hotter. More, please. Oh and eventually the devil gives up and he's like, oh, all right. I never want to see you again. And the farmer's like bummed because he never found a sauna that was hot enough for him, but he's happy because he'll never go to hell. And that story is apparently told to children to get them to bathe more frequently, because if you go in the <laughs> sauna more, you'll never go to hell. Right. Uh, That's great. That's like the anti-boogeyman. Yeah. The ba the bath time monster. Yeah. And the the last piece, and this is something that I heard about a little bit in Finland, and it's kind of, some people are still really into it, and other people are like, eh, that's old-fashioned, is the idea of the Tontu, which is the sauna elf, this little gnome who lives in the sauna, and you always have to treat him re with respect. Sometimes people will pour, like, beer or liquor over the sauna stones to have an offering to the sauna elf. Sometimes you're supposed to just warm up the sauna and leave it for him to take a little sauna or leave some uh -huh. food outside, but he's he's there to punish people acting improperly in the sauna, things like sleeping, playing games, arguing, being generally noisy, or perhaps even yeah. mining for Bitcoin. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. It's that's so that's my good. little dive into sauna culture in Finland. I mean, it's it was amazing. I love it. Any chance I get to get in a sauna is wonderful. Yeah. Well, you inspired us um, when you were there and we went to visit you in Finland and loved it. And you taught us the proper way to a sauna. So we did, we got an outdoor sauna. It's like the shape of a barrel. Yeah. And yeah, it's a Swedish company that makes the heater. It's electric. It's not infrared, but same. Yeah. You just pour the water over and we went in, in Tuesday when we had a snowstorm in Virginia and we were out there just cooking away. And watching the snow fall around, it was lovely. Did you did you roll in the snow after? No, we did go outside and stand in the snow. So we we would go in for you know whatever ten minutes, come yeah. out, stand outside in the snow for a minute or two, and then go back in, you know, and, and repeat. And because you taught us that like it opens up your blood vessels and then yeah. they they dilate, they can 
strict and oh, I slept so good that night. It's it's the best. It's good. Yeah, you're supposed to go in for like 10 minutes and then get out, either like blast yourself with cold water from like a bucket or a shower or roll in the snow if there's snow or a lot of them are built on lakes. And so we would, the one that we went to all the time in Finland, you just get out of the sauna and then run and jump in the lake. And when it, oh, the lake froze gosh. over, they just cut a hole in the ice and you would just dunk in there and then run out and get back into the, into the sauna. I did it in the Arctic ocean. There was a sauna up there, which was really cool. Amazing. Probably the only way I would have survived swimming in the Arctic ocean. That's your two truths and a lie. That's a good That's one. That's true. I forgot about that. But it's crazy. I don't know. Everybody try out a sauna. Don't be scared. They're good. They're good for you. Oh, I love it. Fascinating. My... Well, I know what I'm doing this afternoon. There you go. Happy to give practical advice. Dan, I'm curious, awesome. what, what has been on your mind this week? Well, I'll tell you this. 1688. There we London. go. Whoa. A few. Okay. So a few blocks off the Thames and near London, London Bridge yeah. was a coffee house. Okay. And... As you might imagine, due to its location, the coffee house catered to sailors, merchants, captains, just like seafaring folk. Yeah. And it had an, a nautical theme, and it was really kind of like the gathering place in the city of London to talk about all things sailing and get news from abroad, negotiate passage for people and cargo, and in addition to coffee, the patrons also enjoyed a healthy dose of gambling. Oh, okay. So name, namely, betting which captains would make it back from their journeys or not. <laughs> no. So the gambling over the years became more and more popular. Yeah. And more and more sophisticated. And it evolved into the noble profession of insurance underwriting. No way. That's... Yeah, so the... Ooh. Yeah, so that's where insurance started from. It's the owner of the establishment was Edward Lloyd. So okay. it was Lloyd's Coffee House and later to be known as we know it today, Lloyd's of London. Oh, yeah. So, and it's, of course, it's still active today. It has a hundred billion in assets and Jeez. it insures 20% of all ocean going vessels and cargo. Whoa. And I'm sure they're super busy now because of you know, the Red Sea and the Suez Canal and yeah. the many tribes that are targeting U.S. ships. So, yeah, so that's where it started as a coffee house and they were betting the cat, like, hey, Joe, I don't think you're coming back. Here's a fiver. That's so grim, but that is funny. <laughs> it's, yeah. if you, that's just insurance. You're right. Like, if you talk about it a different way, it's like, that sounds terrible, but that's just kind of what it is. There it is. So 65 years later, so 1752, the Philadelphia Contribution Ship was a company. It was formed and it became the first property insurance in or insurance company in the United States. Okay. It was famously organized by Mr. Benjamin Franklin. Of course. And it too is still active today. Cool. From 1752. So in the 18th century, so late 1700s, early 1800s. Yeah. If you per purchase a fire policy, you would receive a fire placard, which is basically like a small iron sign to hang on the front of your house or your business. It's like similar to, you see those today, the security signs like protected by ADT. Yes. Or okay. Yeah. Thing. So they would have these metal signs that would say, you know, Philadelphia 
contribution chip. And uh, at that time, there were no like professional municipal fire departments. They just okay. didn't exist. The first fire department, like city fire department, didn't come for a hundred years later, like 1853. Oh, whoa. Yeah, it's, which is bizarre to me. So that was in Cincinnati, has the first shout out. The first fire department. Sin City, baby. The Natty. And, but so during that time, in Ben Franklin's time, he came up with the idea, each insurance company ma maintained its own fire brigade. So they would go, that fire placard that was on the front of the house, identified the proper insurance fire brigade that was to respond. Okay. So, so you know, there's, there's a fire up, it would say, you know, whatever, Benjamin Franklin's insurance company respond, you know, so that's who would respond. But the, the, the practice quickly became very cooperative because the insurance companies realized Philadelphia is a crowded town. Most of these houses and businesses are wood. And so, <laughs> you know, a house fire on this street, even though we don't insure it, could spread to our insurance house. Yeah. So they got really cooperative. However, they certainly fought fires more vigorously if it was a client's house mm. or a competitor's house because that's how they would get paid <laughs> if they just went out and, and would fight like a fire at a warehouse that nobody insured <laughs> they don't get paid however you know they also they would protect the city so they would go go there but maybe stop by and get a sauna first <laughs> they wouldn't necessarily <laughs> rush rush there so back to lloyd's of london the original the og yeah so 1965 Lloyd's issued the first policy covering a spacecraft. So they insured in Intelsat 1, which was the first commercial communication satellite in 1965. Okay. So they did the first spacecraft. Lloyd's also insured and still insures stars, meaning what? famous people. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you probably heard of these things like insuring body parts. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. So here are a few, and this is Lloyd's, one of their specialties. I did, yeah, I, I verified them with my contacts in mm -hmm. the industry, but some of these are bought by the company kind of as a publicity stunt okay. and, I'll, and I'll share some of these. So you might've heard of people insuring legs. Yeah. So Betty Grable in the fifties was a starlet and she was one of the first ones, but she insured her legs back in the fifties for a million dollars. Whoa. Rudolf Nureyev, which is one of the famous ballet people, Michael Flatway, the Lord of the Dance, he insured his legs. David Beckham insured oh. his legs. Heidi Klum insures her legs. And what's interesting is one leg is worth $100,000 less than the other. Or I shouldn't say worth, it's valued. Why? At how, how do you come up well, with that? It, it, it has a scar. Oh, oh, geez. And so it's like, yeah, so these are all legit things. So like Beckham, he had like a $43 million, well, like a 40-pound policy or about $43 million policy on his leg. So you can imagine, you know, if he's in a car accident or, you know, breaks an ankle, he can't play soccer anymore. So, I mean, yeah. these are legit policies. And you have to go in front of a doctor and they examine you and they come up with a valuation on your leg. So that's why like Heidi Klum has one leg is more value than the other that's the that's the freaky because like i'm outside of like david beckham like some of these are like heidi klum's is aesthetic so you know over right. like if, if she breaks her her legs she's not doing i guess she can't walk on a runway but like there's yeah 
it's less of a thing. It's more of like how well they photograph, I imagine. Like, oh, who's, who's the doctor that's doing that? He's like, hmm, yes, come here. It seems as, <laughs> that's, that's a $1 million free, dollar leg. Free exams. I, how do you gosh. come up with the number? Well, so, I mean, it's just all like actuarial sciences. It's these math folks mm. that they say, you know, there's a one in 15,000 chance that, you know, you will be, get a blemish on your leg. And so, and then the, the person picks the dollar amount and, and then the insurance company just scales it up based on that. I can go through an example in a bit if you really want. Okay. Bruce Springsteen, vocal cords, $4 million. Dolly Parton has her breast censure. Yeah. Troy Palomalu, football player, he had the big hair, he's got his hair insured. <laughs> and that that's one of those that's like, like a publicity, yeah. like head and shoulders took out the policy. But they still have to, they pay for it, the premiums. And if there is like one of the examples for Troy Palomalu would be like a fire or if he's at the hairstylist and they use a certain kind of bleach that they're not supposed to use and this yeah. thing falls out. So, but others that are interesting are like Costa Coffee. Their chief taster, oh, has a yeah. They insure his taste buds and olfactory for twelve million. <laughs> There's a big winery, excuse me, uh, Summerfield. Okay, their their chief wine buyer, same thing, olfactory type things. There's cheese, white cheeses. Their chief taster has a six million dollar policy. Cadbury, the chocolatier. Whoa, their chief taster has a policy. So there's this cat, Ben Turpin. He was a famous comedian in silent films. Okay. And so like over a hundred years ago. So his bit and his trademark feature was that he had crossed eyes. Oh. So he took out an insurance policy valued at $25,000 that would pay if his eyes became uncrossed. <laughs> so they never did. So the insurance company never paid out the 25000 And so Ben Turpin paid his, I don't know what his premium was, but you know, say $50 a month or something. Like that. Yeah. So there's a field of insurance. It's generally referred to as hole-in-one coverage. And so okay. you might, if you've ever been, some people go to these golf tournaments and on the ninth hole, if you get a hole-in-one, you win a brand new, you know, hurricane or, you know, car. You get a car. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, how do you? Hur what? Hurricane. It's named yeah. after you. Oh my. Tiger Woods yeah. just destroyed New Orleans today. Yeah. Yeah, you get naming rights for a hurricane. Oh. But you, you get a hole-in-one, you win a million dollars. So you can buy that type of insurance. So you might have seen like half-court shots. Sometimes, you know, during the break, they'll bring someone, a fan out and say, hey, if you make this shot from half-court, you win $100,000 or whatever. Yeah, and or, it's paid out by the insurance? Yeah, the insurance companies will pay that out. So we just finished football season. There's, I saw a number of them at halftime. They would bring some, a fan out. And if you kick a field goal from 30 yards, you get free college tuition. Mm. Or sometimes you see like a furniture store. They say, hey, come in and buy your stuff from us. And if it snows on January 1st, more than three inches, your furniture is free. Kind of thing. <laughs> okay. So you could, yeah. You see, I saw it with a, like a car dealership said, you know, buy your cars from us. And if the Jets win the big game, you know, there's no car payment for 2024. So yeah, that's what okay. hole in one coverage is. You know, it's one of the, an opportunity to uh, make like a hole in one or a one type thing. 
that has odds and there's um, risk to it and uh, they will set up. So I can go, here's, I, I did pull up and I found this company because you have to publish your rates and whatnot with each um, state. Okay. And then they take like the, the, that are participating in this tournament and they take the length of a, a hole. It's usually like a par three, which is like 165 yards. Yeah. And then you pick the cash value. How much do you want to pay out? And so they know that there's a one in 12.5 thousand chance that an amateur golfer will make a hole in one. So that mm -hmm. those are your odds. Okay. So based on that, they can say, Hey, there's hundred golfers and you pick the dollar amount. Say we want to give away a $7,000 vacation or a $35,000 truck. And so your premiums would go up, of course, based on the value of the prize, but the premium also goes up based on the number of golfers. You know, if you had like 500 golfers, there's a greater chance that someone would get a hole of one. So yeah. just using an example of a hundred golfers, you can get, win $25,000 if you make a hole in one at 165 yards, the premium would be $520. Okay. Per golfer or just so, total? Just total. Okay. So the golf course would buy it. So the golf course says, hey, you guys come out. We've got this. And they probably have a fee. They collect a fee, you know, probably from the, each golfer, like 10 yeah. bucks to participate in the tournament. And then they just take some of that money, go spend $520 for a chance to win $25,000. Huh? Oh. So that's just kind of how the that's really of it works. And so insurance companies, because the odds are so high, are making a ton of money on these premiums usually. Yeah, but it doesn't take, as you might imagine, some people hit the hole in one. So yeah. you've got to pay out $25,000. It takes writing a lot of policies at $520 to recoup your losses of $25,000. Yeah, interesting. So over 30,000 people have taken out insurance policy covering alien abduction. What? <laughs> 40,000 people have policies um, to insure against ghostly hauntings. Ooh, that's important. Yeah. And over 60,000 policies for werewolf or vampire attacks. How do you claim that? Now, as far as I know, there have been no claims. Yeah. But, I mean, those are out there. And those are something that are kind of niche. If I had to guess, they're more for like... Hey, Claire, guess what? I got you. Yeah. You know, like I bought you, I, a, I named a star after you. Right. Right. There's, I mean, there's no underwriting involved yeah. with that. You know, I don't think there's a higher risk of being attacked by a werewolf in Tennessee versus Oregon, you well, know, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they... I've seen Twilight. I think the Pacific <laughs> Northwest has an awful lot of werewolves. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and we learned early on that it is illegal to shoot a Bigfoot. That's true. In Washington. So, so you better have insurance because you have no other recourse of defending yourself from a Bigfoot. Right. If one comes after you, you just got to take it. Uh, so here's 1994. Not too long ago. Yeah. A 79-year-old woman suffered third-degree burns on 6% of her skin and lesser burns over 16% of her body. She went into shock and was rushed to the emergency room where she remained in the hospital for eight days. While undergoing skin grafts, which are very painful, yeah, um, she went from 103 pounds down to 83 pounds. Whoa! And 
After the hospital stay, she needed home care for three weeks around the clock. And then she suffered permanent disfigurement and was partially disabled for two years. Oh, no. This, of course, is the famous McDonald's coffee case. That's okay. I thought, do you know that person is related to a friend of mine? The gal that passed away? Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, she was 79 then. Oh, really? Small, small world. Oh, my word. So this hits close to home for her. And so the case goes to court and the jury finds that 80% liability for McDonald's. They were 80% liable because coffee was like 100, allegedly, 185 degrees. Oh, my God. Almost boiling. Low for and, a sauna. Know, yeah, right. I know. Of course, these tie in. But yeah, liquid, 185 degrees. And she has like cotton pants on. So it like sticks. And like you were talking about wigs Ooh. melting, joking. Yeah. Like it melts on her. And, and the plaintiff was 20% liable because, hey, it's hot coffee. You spilled it. You know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of so the jury comes up with a $640,000 judgment in favor of the plaintiff, but McDonald's appeals and they end up settling out of court. So we don't know what the actual dollar amount was, but there's, it was very polarizing at the time. Yeah. I mean, there are two camps. They're like, Hey, you spilled coffee. That happens. You're going to sue someone for that. Yeah. Right. And the, the other camp was like, you know, coffee is supposed to be like 130 degrees, not 185 degrees. Uh, so anyway, there's. There was two camps. It was just an interesting story, I yeah. thought. But it's a famous claim. And then my last one, which is one of my favorites, is uh, there's this lawyer in North Carolina. Of course. And he, yes. He purchased a box of like really expensive cigars that were worth like $15,000. And he specifically insured them against things, you know, like flood or if they get storm damage or if they're in a house fire or, you know, all those things are covered. So a month later, he files a claim. And he states that, quote, the cigars were lost in a series of small fires. So he was smoking them, which is a fire, and they're gone. So he turns it into the insurance company and says, hey, pay me $15,000. they are all gone. It was caused by a fire. And the insurance company declined coverage. Yeah. But this lawyer kept persisting. So they end up going to court. And the judge ruled that the insurance company, they never stated what was considered to be unacceptable fire. Mm-hmm. So the company did, in fact, have to pay $15,000 to this guy to replace his property. <laughs> this is the, this makes me chuckle. So the insurance company pays the claim, but then they had the lawyer arrested Oh, because he was sentenced to 24 months in jail and a $24,000 fine on 24 counts of arson. Because <laughs> <laughs> I guess there's 24 in a box. And so that's how they came up with that figure because he intentionally, that's what arson is. If you intentionally light a fire to cause damage. So he got 24 counts of arson and charged with insurance fraud. No way. Oh (laughs) my God. Almost feels like, is that real? What? Oh yeah. That story. I just, it, it sounds like the Finnish farmer who it got so hot, he survived hell. Like it's just so it's, (laughs) there's a parable in there somewhere or something of like, right. Sneaky guy figures it out by causing small fires, but then he found out that he caused the fire. Oh, it's, that's beautiful. Yeah. You could see him like leaving the courthouse after he won the verdict and gets, oh, you know, yeah. supposed to get a check for 15 grand. He's like, I game the system. Yeah. And then there's like a police officer waiting with handcuffs out there. Good times. To... So that's what fascinates me. That's crazy. Insurance world. 
And you should say you worked in insurance for most of your career. That was, yeah, that was my chosen profession. I, I was like, dang, why didn't I get into actuarial science as you were talking? I was like, I got a journalism <laughs> degree that I'm currently using. This is journalism yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, heck yeah. We're doing journalism. Heck yeah. All right. I'm back on board. That's I right. feel fine. Good, um, good, good, good. That is fascinating. You That's just want to be like the leg inspector. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> J-Lo needs what insured? Okay. You just check that out. That's probably, that's worth a couple, couple million. I would do, I would do insurance fraud on myself, which maybe I would get caught like the arson guy, but I would like insure all my toes. And then, you know, I can probably get, get around without a couple toes. And then like cle cleaver one of them off. Yeah. Just like every, every time I'm like, oh, I'd love to go on vacation chunk. All right. Well, we're going to get a settlement for like 10 K. Yeah. I lost this little, this, this little piggy bought me my house. I don't know. That's, I'm, that's crazy though. I've, I've always wondered so, about that, about how much it's like a publicity stunt and how much it's like this insurance actually makes sense for this body part. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. There's all the things. And like I said, some of them are indeed publicity, but some of them, I mean, think of baseball players or it's they even add in their contracts, for example, I've seen, you know, like Tom Brady or something, you know, he's not allowed to go skiing when he's oh. on the, you know, so, so they build that into the contract. But in addition, he will have like a disability clause that says if indeed, well, shoot, think of the drummer for Def Leppard. Yeah. As far, as far as I know, he didn't have one of these Lloyds of London policy, but he famously lost his arm in a car crash and he, he was out for a while. He came back and did drum quite well afterwards, but it's, it's to cover those types of things, those kind of accidents or traumatic incidences that will cause you from, prevent you from getting the same pet paycheck that you used to be getting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well. I tell you what, we need to make sure we ensure our sense of curiosity because <laughs> that's how we make the big bucks. That will do it for this episode of Fascinators. A truly wonderful time, as always. You can follow along with the podcast. Please, you know, review, subscribe, do all the good things wherever you listen to podcasts and follow our Instagram. It's Fascinators Pod on Instagram. But that's that's all we have for you this episode. Dad, what do we always say? Stay fascinated, my friends. Indeed. We will catch you all next time. Bye.